Today, I want to um, continue to press into this idea of our identity and stepping into that identity. I, I think <clears throat> uh, for perhaps much of the church in this generation, uh, and this is across the Western world at least, have created somewhat of a pseudo-identity. We've created um, an alternative Christian identity. And we, we're doing lots of Christian things in that identity. Uh, we're connecting with lots of Christian thoughts and ideas and values. Uh, we have embraced a lot of moral code of that identity. But it's not the same as stepping into who you are in Christ. And a week before last, as, as Betty shared from up here, she really shared about there must be more than what a lot of us are doing, experiencing, understanding as, as walking with Jesus. There, there's, there should be more. And, and then she began to reflect on the heroes of the faith that we see in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And, and it really described these people who were all out, who lived um, their faith. Their faith was an active visible, um, ongoing part of their life. Their, their faith, and, and that just means they're taking risks with God, they're trusting God beyond their own reason, beyond understanding, uh, beyond the pressures of this world. They stepped beyond those things, and they continued to do it. They continued to step beyond logic, reasoning, understanding of this world, and they reached for something beyond that. And they continued to reach, it says, till the day they left this earth. And they did extraordinary things because of it. And these things are listed in the scripture. They did extraordinary things. And, and some of them, you know, finished in a... In a just a, a, an incredible aura of glory, and others died tragic deaths crossing that finish line. But it wasn't what that looked like. It was the reality they were crossing a powerful finish line with Jesus. And to use Paul's language, I ran my race, I kept the faith. And the idea in Hebrews, we also have a race. And last week, what I introduced is God didn't finish up with heroes in the first century of the church. God is in the business of faith people being the heroes in this world. But it is a challenge. It is a challenge to break out of the reality that we live in into the reality that God offers. And so being the heroes of the faith means stepping into that risk, stepping beyond our logic, stepping beyond our own capabilities, stepping into the place where we take a risk in trusting God and then we do it again and then we do it again and then we do it again. And Betty began to mention people that are alive today and that are of our generation who are doing that, and how they stand out. People of the faith stand out. People of the faith don't get lost in the noise. 
God is calling you and I to be heroes of the faith, to be willing to trust him, to step beyond the norm, to step beyond what the world is calling excellence and normal and average and good. But to do that is going to require that we embrace that there are There is a spirit world, not just philosophically, there's a God and there's a heaven, but really that spiritual world is active in your life. That spiritual world is active. God is active in your life right this second. But there are are spiritual forces of this world that are dark forces that are also active in your life at this very second. Those forces are working to distract you in this very moment. Those forces are working to to find flaws in the things I'm saying right now. Those forces are telling you, some of you, that you're hungry, some of you that you're tired, some of you are thinking about last night, some of you are thinking about this afternoon. Lots of forces at work in your life. And, And Scripture says... There is a spiritual warfare going on. Those forces are at work in you and I. Doesn't matter whether we agree. Doesn't matter whether we understand. It doesn't matter our opinions and our philosophies on that. What scripture says is that is a reality. Many of us are not really comfortable with that being a reality that we really need to contend with on a daily basis. We'd rather make money have relationships, do our hobbies, the things that interest us, pursue our passions. We'd rather do these things and, and then we can deal with if there's like, I need prayer for something, if I really need something from God, if I need wisdom, we, we reach into that spiritual piece a little bit. But what we really want to do is go back to living and operating our life. And what the scripture says is, there is a warfare going on. And that discernment, and that's hearing it, seeing it, understanding it, perceiving it, is going to be a big part of your ability to succeed, to be a hero of the faith. Paul says it like this in Philippians, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. His prayer is that we have insight and that we have discernment of what's going on. We, we often are just relegated to we look and we hear something and we immediately decide what that means. I can immediately decide what your motive is. I can immediately discern. That was sarcasm. I can... I I immediately know these things, but it doesn't make them true. What the scripture says is, there is a spirit world that is influencing you in all those things. So when my wife says something to me, there is a spirit world that is wanting me to find flaw or judgment or injustice or something in her words that threaten. Something that drives something between us. 
<clears throat> I want us to look at this. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. Here it is. And from the spiritual powers of this world. Rather than from Christ, for it is Christ. Uh, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. So the scripture says it like this. I, I want you to be careful. There is things trying to capture your thoughts, your identities, your ideals, your values. There are things trying to capture. There are things wanting to hook you. And there's lots of philosophies out there. There's lots of human thinking out there. And, and one translation calls them elemental spiritual forces. The, there are spiritual forces in this world that are desiring to capture your thinking, wanting to influence your thinking. Do you get that part? Does that make sense? <clears throat> there are elemental forces. There are forces in this world that are wanting to influence the way you think, the way you believe, and the way you act. It's saying, these things will work to capture you, but Christ can capture you and hold you and be the fullness of God in a human being. John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. He will teach you and he will remind you. The Spirit is coming as the advocate, as the voice as the influencer that can give you the right stuff. Reach for the right stuff. Our lives, to walk in faith, we have to believe there is a right stuff and that it's worth pursuing. It's worth reaching for. I don't remember where it is in the, in the Old Testament, I wish I could. I don't remember the king. Wish I could. But let me give you the story, and then somebody can find it and show me where it is. There was a, a king talking to another king, and they were, they were really talking about this, the battle and the condition ahead of them. And so the king says to the king of Israel, hey, what are your, what are your prophets saying? What is God saying? Let's talk to your prophets. What is God saying? So he brings all these prophets in. But these were just prophets for the king that basically told the king always what he wanted to hear. This guy listens to all these guys and he says, all right, thanks a lot. Here's a question. Do you have any prophets that actually hear from God? I mean, do you have anybody that's actually tuned in and listening to God? All your guys are saying, oh, yeah, go to battle. It's going to be great. We're going to have the victory. But you see, he discerned. 
He discerned. These guys are imposers. I don't think any of them hear from God. So you got, if you got anybody that does hear from God, said, yeah, well, there's this one guy, but we don't like him because he's always, you know, telling us we're bad. We don't like that one guy that really hears from God. Do you hear what he's saying? We don't really want to talk to the one guy that hears from God because we don't like what he says. You see, people of God want to know what God is saying. They want to know what God is saying. They believe that what he is saying is more important than what I want. I know what I want, and I can ask for what I want, but it would really be a good thing to know what God is saying. John 16, 13 through 15, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling me you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I say the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The Scripture continues to suggest and tell us the Spirit is here to give you what God is saying. He's here to give you the real truth. He's here to break through the basic elemental spiritual noise that is very prevalent and tell you the truth. And the truth will always guide you. Years ago, uh, we went into Mexico. There was a, we drove a bus with a trailer uh, into Mexico. And where we went, there was this colonia. It's a neighborhood. It's like, it was like four miles in the desert. And uh, the sand that was in the desert, it was just, I mean, not from this earth. It was a bizarre sand. Like when it got wet, it became like so slick, you couldn't walk on it. I mean, you just fall down. Everybody's just slipping and falling down. We look like one of those Three Stooges shows, you know. And so we're slipping and sliding all over the place. And so we have been stuck before. And when you stick a big school bus in a trailer, you are stuck. You know, it's just stuck. So, uh, so, so we didn't want to get stuck like that again. And, and so what we did is we sent a Jeep uh, ahead of us into the Colonia and to, to check it out, how wet is it with this torrential rains that had come. And uh, so the Jeep comes back and says, we can't go in there. We barely got out. So I'm talking to all the leaders, and so we're, gonna, we're sitting at a McDonald's in Mexico. We're thinking, oh, we're just going to do worship here in McDonald's and, because we can't get in the colonia. And then uh, one of our youth said, I think the Lord says we're supposed to go in. Really? I said, so you're saying you are hearing from God that we are supposed to go in. Yes. Hey, he's probably 14, something like that. So the leaders are standing there with me in a circle, and they're looking at me going, 
For those of you on video, that's a head shaking no, or on the audio. I said, so the head shakers that are shaking, I said, so are you hearing from God? Is the head nod from God? Their head's not moving anymore. It's just like, they weren't willing to say that was from God. So I turned back to the youth. You're saying that's from God? Yes. Then we're going. And we went. And it was almost like it was dry. I think we had one place we went through water about this deep. It was, it was eerie crazy. You see, discernment of God, well, you'll find it often is in conflict with our human logic. I, I'm not saying I, I'm more spiritual. I was really... I really, if there was a shot that God was saying something, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be the one. I'd rather be stuck in the mud saying, "We did our best to hear God." Uh, all it takes is time and money, and you can usually fix that. In Mexico, it can be more time and money than you can imagine. But hearing from God and taking that risk. is what makes people heroes of the faith. And what I'm saying is, to hear from God, you need to be actively listening to God. When you have a thought, is it from God? That's active listening. Active listening doesn't mean I listen when I want an answer. It means I listen all the time. It means I learn to listen. I mean, it means in when somebody cuts in front of me at Lowe's in the line, I listen to God. I'm listening. It's a discernment moment. It means that I actively pursue the listening piece because God says, I can hear him. I, I hear many times, all the time, I don't, I, I don't hear anything from God. I don't hear anything. And I'm not, I'm not saying I would not be willing to say, yes, you do. What, I'm, what I am willing to say is, I believe God is speaking. I believe there is, there is something there as we actively pursue that. And I think it's easier for some than it is for others. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I can really hear from God. And other times I, I feel like, you know, I'm not hearing very much. But what I find is, even in those moments when I'm trying to discern, I still get this feeling. I get like uh, somebody, this happened to me, somebody cut in line on me. And so that one's new to me. And so I remember thinking, that guy cut in line. You know, I need to just fix this. And then I thought, I need to hear God. So I was like, okay, God, what are you doing here? I got nothing. But all of a sudden, my whole attitude is transformed to being oriented to God and not oriented to the injustice of this guy cutting in front of me. And all of a sudden, I find myself praying for this guy 
because I don't know what God is doing. And maybe what God was doing is he was getting me to pray for this guy. Maybe the cut in line was what God used to bring this guy into my vision and into my mind. Because there's lots of people in Lowe's, and most of them I don't see them. Does that make sense? Active listening comes out all kinds of ways. We, we understand this discernment, this spiritual peace, this understanding. There, are, there is spiritual evil. There is spiritual darkness in the world. There is spiritual light. There is spiritual good. And we discern that and we acknowledge that and we say, yes, that's true. We also say, yes, they're both after my attention. They're both out to influence me. They both want a piece of the action. One of them will always sound like it serves me, and that's the one from darkness. That's why we see the serpent in the, in the Garden of Eden. He doesn't say, oh, eat this fruit and you will die and serve me. He doesn't say that. What he says is, you won't die. What you're going to do is have knowledge of good and evil. It'll make you like God. Well, that sounds like almost a good thing, doesn't it? You know, God's kind of holding you back. He's a little bit of a control freak. But this way, you kind of have the same tools he does. You're a little bit of a disadvantage. See, it was all about Eve. It was making her life a little more full, a little better, bringing God more down on like a peer level, bringing me up and elevating me up where I have the fullness of everything God does. You see, the spirit world that's of this world is always about me. It's always about me. I think it's the greatest cloaking device on the planet. It's when darkness can make it look like it's all about me. <clears throat> Here's what the battle looks like. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. God's purpose is that in all this, was that he would use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. To look at the scripture, you're going to have to come to a place that it's more than a moral code. You're going to have to see that there is a spiritual component of this, and it connects here on earth with the heavenlies. They are connected. They are absolutely connected. And what God is saying here <clears throat> is his mysterious plan was always to use humanity. I mean, think about it. Humanity fell away from God. And we became subjects of this world and subjects of Satan. That's what the scripture says. 
So God's mystery is this. Not only am I going to defeat darkness and Satan, but I'm going to do it with the very people he took from me. Because I will find humans who will choose to follow me. I will find people who will reach beyond the world, who will reach beyond the philosophies of this world, who will reach beyond those things, and they will want to connect with me. I will find them. I will speak to them. I will call them. And they will say yes to me. And they will hear my voice. And they will want to hear my voice. And they will pursue my voice. And they will say yes to me over all other things. And when they do that, I will show them. I will reveal them in all the heavenlies. I will school the powers in the heavenlies. He will display his wisdom in rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We are the rich variety. Putting God's wisdom on display. Human beings. Just people who said yes to actively pursuing and discerning God. This is happening right now. We see it kind of confirmed, Matthew 18, 18. We see that there is a battle here. We're a part of this battle. Truly, I tell you, wherever you whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You hear the power of that language? Do you hear what believers and heroes of the faith start to do? As they're discerning God, as they're listening to God, as they're taking risks with God, this is what's happening. It's beginning to bind things here. When we start taking a position of binding things here, of shutting things down here, of dealing with things here, that same effect is taking place in heaven. We don't have to preach over the heavenlies. We just take care of business right here. We do the things that God has set before us, and what we're doing is we are binding, we are casting out, we are rebuking, we are dealing with powers in the heavenlies. Matthew 12, starting with verse 26. And this is where the Pharisees were kind of giving Jesus a hard time. He was casting out demons, and, and so they said, well, you're casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus kind of called him on it, said, you know, if you cast out demons with demons, then the world of demons is going to fall apart. So that really doesn't hold water. He said, if, if Satan is casting out Satan, he is, a divided, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am powered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But he gives them an alternative. 
This is yours and mine. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of the strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who would tie him up and then plunder his home. That language might kind of sound weird, tie people up and rip them off. But here's the language he's using there. He's saying, if a house is under the power, if a person is under the power of the enemy, then it has to be somebody stronger that goes in and binds the enemy. Whatever is bound here would be bound in heaven. And that's where Jesus says, because of me, that's the strength you have. That's what allows us to set people free who are harassed, who are influenced, who are tormented by the enemy as we come with something stronger and we bind the enemy and then we can rob from Satan. Whatever is loosed here will be loosed in heaven. So you see, we begin to take on a ministry in discernment and in power that says, what I am willing to bind here in the name of Jesus, God says he will bind it all the way in heaven. Those tentacles will be dealt with. And it begins to show the power of how we are controlled by the enemy. Here's what it suggests. If the enemy is tormenting me, influencing me, those tentacles go all the way into the heavenlies. You know, we think about a cancer that runs through your body. What about a cancer that runs all the way through the heavenlies? And, and, and Jesus is saying, what you bind, here's the power I'm giving you. What you bind here will be bound in heaven. And for a person who is set free, for people who are set free, he says, what you set loose here will be set free in heaven. This, this might sound like, wow, this is all kind of heavy, Bill. Well, it might be heavy to you, but what you're going to have to realize is life is not Norman Rockwell. Life has a spiritual component that is under attack. You see... This is our ministry for people. This is our ministry in the world. We are capable, because of Jesus, to bind the strong man and to set the captives free. And that's what Jesus did. It means we have to discern. We have to discern. We have to listen. You know, in the Western world, and I'm going to be going into this more next week, but the Western world is rarely comfortable with this idea of demons. You're going to find in other places, Latin America, the Far East, the Middle East, 
they, they have no issue with this. They have no issue with it. They believe in spirit power. We have, on a large scale, we have seen ourselves kind of promoted or, you know, graduated beyond spiritual things. But it's been a bit of our undoing. We were, um, it, it is interesting, uh, I get calls, I don't know, probably every third week because of harassment at somebody's home, demonic harassment. Um, I get calls from people who are struggling with some kind of demonic thing. And these are, a lot of people, these people don't even go to church, but they've seen it enough They've experienced it enough. They're calling it something. Um, I don't think I shared this week before. I think I shared it with somebody. But uh, years ago, I worked at a drive-in theater. And next to the drive-in theater, there was this old house. It used to be part of a dairy farm. And uh, the house was abandoned. Uh, it was supposed to be where the manager lives, but he refused to live there because it was haunted. And um, I was 15 and did not believe in haunting and I can't begin to tell you how oblivious I was. Um, but this house was allegedly haunted, and it was abandoned. And we had a new manager that came to the theater, and he said, well, I don't care if it's haunted. I'm, I'm going to move in. It's a big house. It's a cool house. It's like 125 years old. And so we helped kind of renovate the house. And uh, sure enough, I mean, the noises in this house, um, you'd be standing on the stairs and and you could hear somebody walking past you on the stairs. It was just creepy, just creepy. You just kind of stop on the stairs. You could hear them going past you. And, uh, you know, crying, uh, all kinds of stuff. Now, my boss was, uh, you know, used to be a gang leader and a cop in Chicago back in the bad days. He, he just wasn't muddled by any of this. And his view was, I won't mess with it. It won't mess with me. We'll get along just fine. And, and that became kind of my view. And so I became a little bit um, insulated from discerning. He wasn't trying to figure it out. And nothing was eating him in the middle of the night, so I didn't see any reason why I should figure it out. And so uh, this is, uh, it's about the time the movie Exorcist came out. And um, so I'm, I'm riding home. I was living in my folks' house. Nobody was home. I'm riding home on my motorcycle. And we had a chain link gate, you know, a, a fence. Got the little lever like that you open. And, uh, you know, just you get good enough on motorcycles. You do stupid things. But uh, going slow, I could lean way over the handlebars like this while I was still moving. And right when my front wheel got to the gate, I could just flip that handle up right before my front tire hit the gate. And so I didn't have to get off my motorcycle or shut it down or anything. I just lean forward, flip it up. I go right through the gate. And if I'm fast enough, I could close it behind me like that. So uh, there's a useless talent for you. But uh, I, I did find a use for it. And uh, so I'm driving. It's about midnight. It was right after I'd seen The Exorcist with my girlfriend. And, uh, and I'm going. I'm driving toward the gate. got my headlight on. And the, the gate is doing this. You know, it's got that little handle that comes down on the bar, and it's just going back and forth like this real hard on that thing. As I'm going toward it, I'm just looking at it. 
There's no wind or anything like that. And it's just weighing on this thing. And I'm like, well, that's strange. I go up closer and closer. I start leaning forward. It's still going back and forth. Why would I touch that thing? You see, there's just no discernment there at all. I mean, that's like the child playing with a snake or something, you know. Anyway, I flipped the handle up, drove through, and uh, didn't think I'd, you know, it's just, I've, I've already been indoctrinated that unexplainable, weird things like that, just ignore them. But you see, they're a part of my reality, and to ignore them is just to play ignorant. It's to play into the enemy. It's not about whether it will eat my hand off like something in the movie or make my head spin around or something like that. It's the fact that I am not acknowledging there is a world for which my world doesn't, they're not the same world, and they are colliding on this earth. You see, and we are a part of that collision, and we can be a part of the redemptive process of that of that being changed and redeemed, or we can just ignore it and play in it. It was probably three years later, I I became a Christian, and all this stuff began to flood into my mind. And and they closed the theater. My boss moved on. Uh, My mother worked at a paint company, and there was a guy came in, just a painter, and said, you know, we, we get, we're calling this exorcist out to this house we live in. It's haunted. She said, really? I know of a haunted house. Where do you live? And he told her. She said, oh, yeah, that's the Barlow house. Yeah, it's been haunted forever. He said, really? Anyway, they were calling an exorcist out, and they were putting, like, these aluminum foil crosses in the corner and stuff. It was real. Whatever was going on was real. You see, the people of God... <laughs> are about stepping into that reality and bringing glory to God, binding things on earth and setting things loose on earth so that they're bound in heaven and set free in heaven. Those are the heroes of the faith. They they call it what it is. We live in a spiritually charged world. And there are good forces, and there are dark forces at work. And our discernment needs to be constant. Because the enemy is constant. That's why you can have a great time of worship, and three hours later, you're doing something more vile than you've seen yourself do in years. And you go, how is this possible? It's because you have an enemy because you have an enemy and that enemy is at work and it requires discernment and then when we are discerning then we can step into that truth that the Holy Spirit gives us we can go you know years ago I was broken down on the side of the road and I, um, I there was a car that pulled up and these guys were wanting to help me I think I need a water pump they said, well, come with us. We'll go get you a water pump. And, and I felt the Spirit tell me, do not go with them. Do not get in the car with them. So I told him, no, I'm not getting in. And uh, I walked it. It was a real shady bar. It's in the middle of nowhere. Nothing around, but there's this bar over here. 
And um, so I go over to the bar, and I say, you got a phone I can borrow. And there's, it looks like there's a motorcycle gang and some people there that are interesting. And this guy comes over to me. I'm in a suit. This guy comes over to me, great big giant guy. And, uh, and I had some folder with me, and he starts making fun of me. And, and he kind of starts an altercation with me. And now I'm, I'm believing that the Lord has brought me here. So I'm, I'm not afraid of this guy, but, but there's a part of me afraid of this guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, I, is this a righteous death, Father? What's, what's going on? And so he's in my face at the bar. I know what it was. I ordered a Coke. And he was mocking me for ordering a Coke. And, uh, and so, you know, he's giving me this hard time. And, and finally, I just kind of turn around. I'm, we're face to face, sort of face to face. His face is there. Mine's here. And, uh, and then there's this guy, um, you know, looked about like Rick. Rick, would you stand up, please? Looked about like Rick. So there's me. There's the guy. And Rick walks up and steps between us. And he turns to the big guy and he says, he can drink a Coke if he wants. Leave him alone. And the guy said, okay. I was like, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> but he certainly understands the concept of authority, doesn't he? <laughs> so I'm sitting here at the counter with my Coke, but the big guy doesn't leave. And he's just sitting there. And then he turns to me and he says this. I can type 90 words a minute. <laughs> really? Wow, that's really good. Yeah. I said, well, how did you get to where you could type 90 words a minute? He said, well, my mom said I had to go to school and get some trade, get a trade. I said, well, that's great. That's a pretty marketable skill. And out of this, this conversation just exploded. And I got to share Jesus. Isn't this a convoluted thing? Isn't this bizarre? There's nothing logical. I'm in a biker bar in the middle of nowhere. Then my friend shows up, who is a party crazy dude. He says, man, I can't believe you came into this place. I said, well, is either that or the four guys are going to kill me. So, you know, I... I picked this one. That's really not true. That's what I said. But I thought, I really picked it because God told me to. And God wanted me to come to the bar to meet my new friend, the big guy, who can type 90 words a minute. And his fingers are about that big around. I don't know if he could really type 90 words a minute, but he thought he could. And I believe him because he's a big guy. No. Something happened, and the Lord was engaged and involved in my life. And it was a good day because God was active, and we were setting things loose, and we were binding things here and in heaven. Ask God for discernment. 
concerning the nature and the activities of the elemental spirits around you. Start actively asking God, what spirit is this? What's going on? All of a sudden, you'll be jealous of somebody or something. Do you think that's true? All of a sudden, you're jealous. All of a sudden, you're mad. All of a sudden, there's something that just robs your joy. All of a sudden, um, you know, you're, you're anxious. These are elemental spirits. But what we will think is I'm anxious, and now I need to change my circumstances so I'm not anxious. And what God is saying is, pay attention, Bill. What it is is an elemental spirit of anxiousness that is influencing you. You don't need to change your circumstances. You need to deal with the spirit that is pursuing you in this moment. All of a sudden, you see somebody, and all of a sudden, you have this lust. Is it really your desire and need for them? Or is there an elemental spirit that has gone to work to influence you? Do you need to cater and satisfy that lust? Do you need to kind of deny that lust? Or do you need to deal with the elemental spirit that has come against your soul in that moment? You see, that's discernment. When I'm not discerning, I just think it's me. Oh, man, she's hot. I'll take another look. Or, she's hot. I can't take another look. They're both the same thing. One's better than the other, but they're the same issue. But to say, she's hot, what spirit is that? Did God give me that word? Did God give me that word? There's only one time God gives me that word right there. That's the only time God gives me that word. For the audio, I'm pointing to my wife. And she's hot. You're hot, honey. See, I can say that. And it's the Spirit of God. <laughs> Great discernment. Folks, as the people of God, the heroes are the one who are not believing the landscape for what it looks like, but they're discerning deeper than the visual and the audio they have. <clears throat> Ask God to prepare the hearts and minds around you that you can be that influence to bind and to set free. That's your call, folks. We're here to bind and to set free. Bind and set free. But see, our own freedom is found in the discernment that sends us to Jesus. And lastly, we use Paul's words, pray that God may anoint our preaching and our teaching. You know, we need to pray for one another and pray for ourselves that our words, our preaching, our teaching, our connection with people will have the power to give them discernment. Does that make sense? We need to care about our words having power to bless people. Uh, I, I'm going to 
I, was, I pray for you guys a lot. And I just felt like I wanted to publicly say this. Jeff, this Jeff, not that one. You're at some kind of a crossroad, and <clears throat> God is wanting you to trust him um, outside the box. He is, he is inviting you to great and new things. And I don't know what that is, but I just saw this whole change of opportunity over your life. And I, I just want to bless that um, today. If we could stand.